The financial needs of a business go beyond tax and attest services. That's why CTBK goes beyond accounting services and offers outsourced solutions through their affiliation with CFO Solutions Plus. These additional services allow clients to focus on their operational and long-term strategic goals. Trust CTBK's outsourced solutions to provide cost-effective, value-added financial services tailored to your company's needs. Call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400. Or go to ctbk.com to learn more about CTBK's outsourced solutions. Welcome to another edition of Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants. I'm Tim Graham of The Athletic, joined by my, I can say again, usual co-hosts, plural, Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic and Jonah Bronstein of the New Bronstein Times. And if you're watching on YouTube, you can see him there in the upper left. He is Jeff Glore of CBS News, the pride of Tonawanda etc, etc. We don't need to go through the whole thing again. Everybody knows him by now. He's a longtime F. And uh, great to have you on, Jeff. I've been trying to do it for a little while. Uh, Everything going on in this crazy world, it takes some time. But uh, thanks for for joining the podcast. So is Fairburn now, he's a regular now on each episode? Well, he's a regular kind of like you know, like Fred Armisen is the regular drummer in the in the late night band and that he's there maybe once every four months, you know. Right, uh, right. Yeah, it's the Fred Armisen band. He might be there. He might not be there. Uh, but yeah, he's now that he's back in Buffalo covering the Sabres, he is going to be a regular part of the show as his moving and uh, work allow. Well, let me first let me most importantly, let me just say this. I don't know if you guys I, I assume you've done other. Uh, podcast here since he's been back, but wait a minute. I, and I, I talked. You're to not him. aware of this. I don't know. <laughs> you. I thought you watched. I did not know that. Sorry. Um, uh, I, I typically do. I must have missed it. Um, as you said, there's a few things going on. Uh, I said this to, to Matthew after. Selfishly, for us, for fans, we're we're happy, but I'm most happy for him that he's back. Um, it just it's just great. I was I was I was stunned by the news, but also um, really happy to hear it. So welcome back, buddy. Oh, thank you very much. It, it means a lot and very excited. Uh, it's already been a lot of fun getting rolling and always good to be back with with the F's here. You know, that's the, the most important piece of this. I, I, I was unsure of my F status for a while and now it, it's been cemented again. You put the MF in TGAF. I try. When it was a, when it was announced back on May 31st, and I'm thinking to myself, well, Jeff Glore is not going to mind if I say the text that I got from Jeff upon the announcement that Matthew Fairburn was coming back to Buffalo. And I, it's a little bit different than I remember it. So I think maybe you will uh, mind. It was Fairburn, exclamation point, holy and uh, an expletive. And I don't want to go ahead and totally quote it, but he was yeah. very excited. I was. And so that is genuine. I am. That is genuine. And uh, he, uh, yeah, this is not for show here that he's talking up uh, Matthew Fairburn returning to Buffalo. I would say the same thing if Jonah left and then came back. Well, I'm not going anywhere, so we won't have to cross that bridge. But I appreciate that. Thank you. So we have people on this podcast who cover the Bills and Sabres. 
Um, Jeff, uh, let's just go ahead and uh, let you go to work here. Why don't you just ask us things? No, yeah. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Let me ask you what you when can you recall a time when you were so excited about both your teams at the same time? Wow. Um, it's been a while. I don't know, more than 10 years easy. Probably, I let's say more than 20 maybe because for the Sabres, you have to go back to when you were covering them, basically. And for the Bills, you have to go back. Uh, and they were halfway through their drought then. When the Sabres were going to their back-to-back -back Eastern Conference Finals, they were seven or eight years into no playoffs. Yeah. Wow. So it's been a long time. And um, it's, you know, my question, like, it's, it's interesting. When, did, when do you think the Sabres switch flipped? Because it seemed like it happened pretty suddenly this season, this past season, and that they went from nobody's going, it's a disaster, it's never going to get better, to, wow, the future is really bright. For me, and this is, of course, I'm a distant observer, but I just got done writing a story about it, uh, Kyle Ocposo, and how he looks like he's going to be the next Sabres captain. And I was talking to both Don Granado and Kevin Adams about the team and how it's evolved since Granado has become the head coach. And, and, and also talking to Kyle Ocposo and uh, Zemgus Gergensen for the story. They love playing for Granado. And I don't know if... Ralph Kruger had to happen for them to love playing for Don Granado so much, but Kruger was such a life suck for that organization that then being introduced to Granado's free and easy, let's go out there and have fun style of, you know, go out there and have fun. And then we're going to work the system around your, your fun and you guys doing playing, just playing hockey versus Kruger retrofitting that where it would be, here's the system. Now learn how to have fun within it. And they couldn't because it was awful. Um, and so I think that really just that plus the youngsters who've been infused, uh, and the fact that more youngsters to come, the youngsters who did, uh, that we did get to see a glimpse of this year will be that much better, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think that really just kind of comes down to that, a team that started to have fun and the fans started to have fun watching them. I'd say if Jeff means the fan optimism around the team. If there's a flip-switching moment, it was that game when Vegas came back with Jack Eichel. Uh, but it probably was a – I would say it was a slow flipping of the switch from the time they made that trade up until that point because Alex Tuck and Peyton Kreds took some time to get into the lineup. Nobody was in the building for many of the games before that. And then from then on, and really if you look at the record, the team played better, the fans were more into it, and now for a team that didn't make the playoffs, it's pretty optimistic about how most people feel about the team around here. That is a huge aspect of it, the Eichel trade. And I was actually at that game. And then Rick Jenner at night was the next week, I believe. Shortly or after. Shortly after. And it just there was an electricity that seemed to build. Yeah, something seemed to click. Um, Jeff, let me ask you. This is the first time we've talked to you since the Eichel trade. What's your take on all that? Now that it's over, um, everything from the tank to get him. Uh, what's just, as a Sabres fan, how does that Jack Eichel experiment how does that uh, resolve itself if it does with you? Well, I don't know if you remember, but when, when I, when that, when all of that was playing out and when the tanking was taking place, I was working on a story for 60 sports on Connor McDavid. 
Um, so we talked to him in Ontario for that. And I remember, you know, I'm obviously covering this as a Sabres fan. So I obviously would have, would have liked to have seen the lottery go a different way. But then I, I think I try to take a glass half full. Um, I did certainly when, when he was drafted and I was optimistic that, and, you know, we had obviously had some good seasons, but I just, I guess I wonder at this point, whether, whether he ever really wanted to be in Buffalo. Um, and I don't know. It, it was, it, it was odd the way he departed. I, I thought it was a little odd the way, um, you know, especially when the trade went down, I think what didn't, didn't when the trade happened, he just did the Vegas baby tweet and didn't say anything about Buffalo or the fans. Um, I don't know. That struck me as, um, he did some interviews, but he was short about it. He, he pretty much had two sentences and then on to, you know, happy times in Vegas. Yeah. I don't know. You guys, you call, you, you, you guys would know more about what was going on behind the scenes. Um, but um, yeah, I, I don't know why it didn't work. Obviously it's, it's disappointing that, um, that it didn't. Um, but I do think that, um, this is suddenly now, I think, um, a pretty good setup for a, for a team that, that hopefully has a bright future that, that Matthew gets a chance to cover every day. Matthew, um, I guess, I don't think that we spoke about this when, when you were on last. I guess you're, you, you're coming in on this, but you've been paying attention because you, you thought that this was uh, possible for a lot longer than just uh, when the announcement was made, made on May 31st. And being somebody from Buffalo at the time, what's, what's your take on, on how the Eichel situation, now that it's got a bow on it? Or do we still not know? I guess I'll open that up for everyone. Do we still not know because of... Alex Tuck and the draft picks and, and Krebs and the, do we have to wait and see how, it, if Jack Eichel wins three Stanley cups, does that change our minds? Would it I'm change your mind, Jeff? No, no, I don't think so. I mean, I feel I, you know, good for the, the, the Knights if they're able to do that and, and, and good for him, but I, you know, this became, I think <laughs> the, Eichel, the Eichel trade went from over the span of a couple of years unthinkable to inevitable right and i remember when you first mentioned it when other people first mentioned it i was like no way come on and then it it eventually reached wh whether whether jacks at fault for that or the sabers are at fault or or someone else or, or some combination of both um it just became I'm, I'm glad they got back what they got back from a fan's perspective but um I, you know at this point i he had to go I guess let me ask the question this way. I'll keep it as kind of a journalism discussion also. Matthew, you're coming in to cover a team that doesn't have Jack Eichel hanging over it anymore. John Vogel had to deal with all of that. There's almost like a clean break with you coming in this season. Uh, it seems like a fitting time for a, ref a fresh set of, of eyes uh, on this organization. I don't know if, what your thoughts of that are, but that's kind of the way I see it. Yeah, I think so. I, I think you know, given the direction that the team is heading and the positive energy and just, yeah, that not having to jump into that situation in the middle without all the context, without, without the relationship with Jack or anybody in the organization to really sort through fact from fiction and, you know, handle it as expertly as John did, I think is to my benefit. 
there was always a part of me, you know, when I got here, it was like a year later that Eichel was drafted. He grew up probably 20 minutes from me um, in Massachusetts. There was always part of me that thought maybe, you know, I could, you know, develop some sort of, you know, connection with him if I were to ever cover that team. But it doesn't necessarily sound like he was the guy that was most open to that sort of thing. And I think there, I don't know, it it feels like there's still maybe some of that story to be told potentially uh, as the trade unfolds here in the years to come. feels like that situation is something that's always going to be a chapter in the story of this Sabres team and Kevin Adams as a general manager. But I agree with Jeff in the sense that it feels like it had to happen no matter what. No matter how things turn out, if Jack Eichel goes and wins three Stanley Cups, if Alex Tuck and Peyton Krebs aren't what they looked like last season, that'll sting. But I don't think there's a version of this story where Jack Eichel was going to win three Stanley Cups in Buffalo. It's unfortunate it didn't play out that way for the organization and for the fans, but they were at an impasse on a pretty critical issue, you know, his medical situation. Whether they dug in so hard on that because they wanted to get rid of him and it was an easy, you know, way to do it, or or vice versa, or vice versa, Jack dug in because he really wanted out. Um, I think those are really difficult questions to answer to get straight answers from anybody on. But what became clear, not just leading up to that, certainly leading up to it, it was obvious that it just wasn't going to work. And it became even more obvious, I think, after the fact, uh, you know, whether yeah. not just that the Sabres got a great return on the ice, at least early returns look really strong for the types of guys that, that Alex Tuck and Peyton Krebs are. But seeing the way Vegas' season went, seeing the way Jack handled himself when he came back to Buffalo, all of that felt like validation for Kevin Adams and the organization moving on from him, what they're trying to do, whether it's right or wrong, what they're trying to build from a culture standpoint in the locker room, all of that, everything they talk about, Jack Eichel did not seem to fit that. And whether that is a personality problem with Jack Eichel or a desire problem because he had had to suck up and swallow so many rebuilds already. Um, I'm not sure. I don't totally blame Jack. I don't, I don't know that it's an issue of him never wanting to be in Buffalo. I think it was, he had to deal with a lot of toxic workplace environment um, that was not that some was his doing, but not all of it was his doing. And he had to deal with, the pressure of carrying the team as an 18 year old of, you know, the expectations and he clearly wasn't fully cut out for it and they put too much on him too soon. There's a lot of blame to go around and it's not all Jack's, but I think the way Jack handled everything, you know, certainly felt like some validation for Kevin Adams. It felt like for fans, they were probably the ones that were torn, the ones that did feel badly that, that Jack had to go probably didn't feel so badly after he handled himself the way that he did. So I, I'm, I enjoy where the situation is at now because I think it's always good to have villains in sport. Uh, It makes things a little bit more interesting. And 
he has leaned into the villain role uh, yes. with more more passion than he leaned into a lot of things here in Buffalo. And so uh, I'm excited to see how that unfolds, especially with being one time a year, I think is perfect that he only comes back once a year, that that animosity from the fans is not going to fade. And as long as, you know, we'll see which direction Buffalo and Vegas go in, but I don't think a lot of people would have thought that the franchises would be in the spots that they're in right now when the trade was made. There's certainly more. Go ahead, Jonah. I would say there's certainly more chapters in the story. Matt was alluding to the reception. How many years, how will, will this go on for the rest of Michael's career where he's this hated figure in Buffalo or will it, eventually come around so maybe he gets cheered and appreciated and welcomed back at some point later in his career if the stars align that way. But also on the ice, there's still draft picks to be made that were tied to that deal. And Peyton Krebs' development is going to be a big part of that. And even just comparing Alex Tuck's production and ability to be a number one line player, maybe he's not going to be the captain, but a captain quality player to what Jack Eichel is post-injury on a different team. There's still a lot to be determined. It could look even better and better for the Sabres as the years go along. And to Chim's original point, if Jack Eichel does happen to win multiple Stanley Cups with Vegas and Buffalo continues to toil outside the playoffs, that will be a huge narrative that people will talk about forever and ever letting go of the guy. But I do think the dark cloud chapters of that story where the Sabres medical staff and the you know, Kevin Adams and the ownership and the GM not doing right by Jack Eichel or the franchise or the fans, all of that seems to have been put to bed with this past season. Tim, how many, how many parallels to the Pierre Turgeon story and trade are there? Well, I was actually going to make the point uh, just uh, how quickly a trade can change in terms of how you view it um, with uh, the Ryan O'Reilly uh, trade. And of course, Jason Bottrell gets fired essentially because of it, because Ryan O'Reilly wins a Stanley Cup immediately after the trade. He wins the Con Smythe. Tage Thompson doesn't look like much, but now here fans are looking a lot differently at that trade because now Thompson's a player and now Thompson has a future. And maybe Jason Bottrell did see a little something, but I think it'll always be colored by the immediate impression of Thompson versus O'Reilly. So now we have Jack Eichel floundering in Vegas, whereas Tuck comes in, gets people excited. Krebs is encouraging uh, and plays right away. Uh, people want Tuck to be the captain. Um, so I think that it, the Sabres fans will always be able to find a way to say, no matter what, that the Sabres won that trade. Vice versa, Tage Thompson's going to maybe have to, you know, go on a, on a tear uh, to overcome the fact that Ryan O'Reilly won uh, with St. Louis right out of the gate. And then another trade too, that I think, you know, and this is another story I wrote about a couple of years ago and, and Turgeon took a lot of these. Uh, he had a lot of similarities to Turgeon and how he was portrayed in the media uh, is Tim Connolly and Michael Pekka getting traded for Tim Connolly and Taylor Pyatt a blood and guts captain for a couple of finesse, well, a finesse guy and a guy who looked like he should be Todd Bertuzzi and never played that way. Uh, and the fans just resented Tim Connolly until he was gone. And then they reflected and thought, you know, this Tim Connolly was pretty good, actually. And, uh, you know, people now have this, they love Tim Connolly, and, but they were so wrapped up at the time and what he was supposed to be uh, that they didn't see how good he really was. And I think Turgeon had a lot of that too. You know, Turgeon came in with so much um, expectation and excitement and was good. 
uh, he wasn't great. He, he was he was all right. I mean, what did you what are your recollections on now? I'm from Cleveland and at the time, but my recollections of Turgeon, I mean, I was I, I was young. My recollections were, yeah, that he was good, um, but not great, great. And that it was still surprising that it when it happened. And I think people were some people were upset, some weren't. But that also then spawned the, you know, LaFontaine McGillney excitement for I don't know how long did that last for three, four, five years. A long time. And it was a great run. Yeah, it was fun. Um, so, yeah, that, I just I just thought of I mean, it's you know, to the point of it, it's not unprecedented that um, they can't miss previous can't miss prospects or, or huge names get get traded. It, it happens. Um, and I and I don't I don't doubt, I listen. I, Eichel's talented enough. I it would not surprise me at all if for the next four or five years he has at least 80 to hundred points a season. It, it, it would not. Um, but do I still think that it was probably the best for all sides for him to go? Yes. Yeah. Turgeon, the perennial Bing candidate, you know, Buffalo's not big or has a ton of pride on winning leading Bings. Uh, and even though he would score 30, 40 goals for Buffalo. Yeah. I think that what, what they got in return uh, was, was okay. Um, a fantastic career by Turgeon. Um, Matt uh, mentioned the the word villain. Uh, I just made me think of a just a quick topic before we talk some Bills, and maybe this obviously could have some Bills uh, opponents' answers. All time favorite Buffalo sports villain. I mean Brian Cox. I'll start the discussion there. I don't know if that's the score to beat, but Brian Cox has to be up there, right? Rob I mean, Gronkowski, well, Tom Brady for for his just being so good. But. Yeah, yeah. It's got to be. Tom Brady's got to be the guy, right? It's got to be Brady. The problem with from a Bills standpoint, I feel like, is that, and probably the Sabres too, so many of the villains are their own guys. <laughs> it's like, you know, like, <laughs> like, like Billy Leno is a huge villain and it has nothing to do with anything he did to the Sabres other than you know, wasting some of their money. Um, I feel that, that same way about some of the drought era bills that some people would throw up there. Willis McGahey. Um, some people felt a certain way about Marshawn Lynch. DJ Manuel. Yeah, but from, yeah, yeah. you know, I feel like from an opponent standpoint, Brady, Gronk, maybe because of the whole Tredavious White thing, but it didn't feel like that vitriol stuck around as a majority because he's a Buffalo guy. I know people I feel it did stick around way too much. I mean, you even see it. Rob Gronkowski announced his finger quotes retirement this week. I, if not a lot of people believe it's true, it's like a Roberto Duran retirement or a Sugar Ray Leonard. Uh, but um, people were still bringing it up. You say one of the greatest, I think he's the greatest tight end of all time. And people were making that sentiment. You'd see a Bills fan say, no, he's trash. Like, come on. I mean, it's possible that he did something he didn't like, but he still is pretty freaking good. It's interesting on the Brady, well, yeah, or, or Garcia. I mean, like Josh Allen, I mean, Allen is sort of leaned into like you watch the match or whatever else, and the Brady being villain thing, they tease each other, but there's like an undercurrent there. I I may I might be wrong of of a real you know, I, they're different ages and they're different generations at this point. And Brady's not in the AFC East anymore, but I don't know. 
whether those guys deep down like each other or not. I don't know. I, I kind of get the feeling I, and I don't know. I haven't talked to Josh about it or anything, but I get the feeling they're they're playing a little bit of patty cake there and just just having some fun on the Internet. I don't know. I don't. Josh grew up loving the guy. Now he's getting to play golf with him. He's like in that tier That's of superstar. Yeah. I think they're, they're having a little bit of fun. There might, I think there's a competitiveness to Josh where he probably doesn't like, I'm sure it stings him when Brady brings up that Josh has never beat him. Like, I think that probably pisses him off, but I think if Brady, you know, invited him out to dinner, he'd jump at it. You know, it's not. Or when he he shows him the trophy and says, Hey, do you recognize, have you ever seen one of these, Josh? The Marty I mean, that's got to piss him off. (laughs) I'm sure it does, but I also think he would. (laughs) He would welcome, you know, the chance to have another round uh, on the course with him, or I don't know. I, I, I just Josh think, would like another round just to so he didn't look as like he was the fourth well, best player on, in that tournament. <laughs> well, he was talking yeah. trash about Tom the other day on a podcast, saying Tom was by far the worst golfer of the group, and I was just like, man, if you had put a little bit better of a showing out, there, I mean, to Josh's credit, Josh said he was third of the four out there uh and brady was fourth but um yeah it just feels like you know he needs he needed to play a little bit better if he was going to bring up brady's golf game as as an issue let's talk a little bit more about josh um because as much as he does get discussed and he's the you know, obviously drives the conversation about Buffalo sports right now, but he's also starting to drive the conversation about in the, within the NFL. I mean, he's gotten to that level. Um, Jeff, you know, because you've been a, a Buffalo sports fan for so long and you've done it from afar also having moved away and having to deal with living in other towns where people rag on you for your fandom. And can you put into words what it's like? to have a player like Josh Allen in the most important position in the game in bordering dominance, or at least maybe approaching the chance to be dominant in the NFL um, for a team that has as dark of a, of a history as it's had both recently and with the four losses, four, four Super Bowl losses. I mean, as a Bills fan, which I'm not, um, right. but I can, I can, sympathize as a, as a, or maybe even empathize as a Cleveland sports fan, um, former Cleveland sports fan. What's it like to have this guy? I mean, it's gotta be pretty badass. Yeah, it is. Especially after waiting that long and it's just, it, it, of course it feels great. I mean, listen, you want to, as a fan, it does. I mean, you still you know, I, I, and I think, you know, he, he wants to win a championship. We want to win a championship, you know, as a Buffalo sports fan, that's what you want. Um, but it's, you know, having that quarterback quarterback box checked, which what, I guess I'm still a majority of teams in the league. You could say don't really, um, or would certainly like to upgrade it. Of course it feels great. Um, and I'm, it, it, it's exciting for the future if he's able to do this for the next who knows how long 10 15 years I mean it seems like quarterbacks play into their late 30s and early 40s now so um I'm I'm thrilled for him I'm thrilled for Buffalo I guess I'm most thrilled that it just it's like it's it's a fit like it just seems like right. he's, it's a perfect fit 
Um, and I, and I don't know why that is, but, um, I guess I won't ask too many questions about it. Yeah. Well, I was a little too superficial, I think with my question, um, because as an observer, uh, I've lived in Buffalo with the exception of a couple of years in, in South Florida, I've lived in Buffalo since uh, 2000. And to me as an observer, as a detached observer, as a journalist, it's borderline surreal that this is happening because there are so few of these quarterbacks. You can talk about checking the box. There are a lot of teams that have the box checked with somebody who's serviceable or who's pretty good. Yeah. Now this guy is elite. Yeah. And um, after JP Lossman and Trent Edwards and, you know, Fitz being a legend, you know, Fitz as fun as he was, I mean, you, he, he, he was no, he was not elite um, to have this guy. It, it's just, it seems like it's almost too good to be true for a Buffalo sports fan. They've got the box checked in permanent marker. They don't have it checked in pencil <laughs> way they had for a long time. You know, it's, yeah. it's, and I think Jeff's point about it being a fit, you know, there's an element. I think that when your quarterback's that good as a fan base, you think he's the perfect fit, right? Because he's amazing. But I, Tim and I have talked about this off the air before the way his personality, I think has grown into the role of being the franchise quarterback, the face of the franchise and how it's, you know, understated at times his personality, but he's becoming more of a, more of a grown man leader type. And I think he strikes all the right chords with, with fans when he's in public and really, uh, is somebody that they identify with for, but a big part of that is how good he is. Uh, you'll find ways to identify with anybody who's an absolute phenom at his position, but his personality does seem to mesh and he does seem to have figured out how to, how to play the strings a little bit. And this wasn't a sure thing when they drafted him, either from a football standpoint, it was the third quarterback taken. And a lot of people had doubts whether he was the right quarterback to take at that point. And even the personality stuff, I don't think everybody saw that right away. You know, the, you know, the problematic tweets from his past. It wasn't obvious that he was going to come in and be such a popular, engaging, and charismatic figure. That, that came along probably during his rookie year, but not right off the gate in that first press conference and first introduction to the team and the fans. Now, he seemed like a kid for a while, which he was, you know, and he's still to an extent. And that you know, transition galvanizes Brandon Bean. It makes Brandon Bean a star too, because it wasn't obvious. It wasn't Bill Polian drafting Peyton Manning. It wasn't, you know, draft. It wasn't just the autumn. It wasn't Andrew Luck, Bill Polian again, uh, or no, whatever, whatever happened there. Anyway, the Colts, you know, either it way. wasn't Jim Kelly. They didn't give him a parade welcoming in and everybody assumed that he'd be a Hall <laughs> right. of Famer from day one. Yeah. 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 That's part of the identification piece too probably why people identify with him is because a lot of people were dug in very strongly that this guy was no good before he even took the field and continued to doubt years into his career and you know that's sort of the the calling card of buffalo right is that everybody's overlooking buffalo and everybody's doubting buffalo and all these things and josh had to put up with a lot of that in his personal narrative and was able to overcome it and now yeah. Buffalo is getting the attention through Josh and he's sort of this ambassador for the franchise, but also the city and the region. And I think a lot of people feel as strongly about this guy as they do a member of their own family, frankly. 
and don't forget when you know when Jim Kelly is is you know, as great as Jim Kelly was. I mean, he didn't he didn't want to be here at first, right? Um, and and Josh did. That's a I huge that. part of it, I think. Um, same with Alex Tuck. You know, he came, he wanted to be here. Um, and you don't even have to go back that far to Jim Kelly. Think of the long running list of guys who didn't want to be here. Um, guys who just refused to show up after getting traded or picked up on waivers. Uh, Dree Archer from the Steelers. No, nah, I'm just going to retire. I don't want to be a Bill. Uh, Sean Merriman didn't show up for days after the Bills picked him up off waivers. Um, even Anquan Bolden. Yeah, I was just uh, going to say, <laughs> Anquan Bolden showed up for a couple days and he's like, nah, screw this. Vontae yeah, Davis and, left at halftime. This regime. <laughs> that's right. Vontae <laughs> Davis with this, yeah, with Josh Martin. Allen on the team. He's like, eh. that's th Those are your bills, Jeff. Not anymore. No, not anymore. That's right. Um, yeah. So we'll, um, I did think that part of the, you know, we haven't, this is not, I mean, it, it's, it's Josh related a bit, but the offseason's been interesting. I mean, especially with the biggest, I mean, our biggest rival, the Chiefs. I mean, so the Chiefs sort of jettison their star receiver, whereas the Bills re-sign theirs. Interesting. Who are, all right, how about this as a discussion? I think this, all of us, we can join in here. You don't have to be a fan. Um, who are you most concerned about in the AFC East now? So I'll set the table. The Dolphins may be having the worst off season in the NFL. And that's a tough pull uh, because, and I said, maybe uh, because I think the discussion is down to Washington, Cleveland, and Miami is having the worst off season. You have Miami firing their coach and wanting to, uh, all these plans coming out that they were going to bring in Sean Payton and Tom Brady. Uh, it all blows up in their face. Uh, Washington, of course, with its owner embroiled in all kinds of conversation and, and uh, the Browns with uh, Deshaun Watson. Um, so chaos happening uh, all around the league, including in the AFC East. Um, the Jets had an amazing draft on paper. Um, they've done some things. Uh, they like their coach. Um, he's been encouraging. The Patriots kind of stand pat uh, uh, and circle back to the Dolphins, I guess, despite their wild off season. They do add Tyreek Hill to their roster. They've done some things. So I'll, uh, we'll start with you, Jeff, as the guest, who are you most concerned with in the AFC East? Because let's remember the bills were supposed, if there was a sure thing in 2021 for the bills, any sure thing at all, it was that they were going to clearly win the AFC East and it, they didn't, they, they won the AFC yeah. East, but it, it went a lot later down to the wire than a lot of people yeah. would have expected. So what, what's your thoughts on the division? I mean, my thoughts on the division is that, you know, Bill Belichick is still the coach of the New England Patriots. So, I mean, if you're looking for a threat, I, I still, pro I guess, would look there first. Um, you know, I think, yeah, the, I mean, Tyreek Hill is Tyreek Hill. So I, I it's certainly think, I, I think unless, you know, Tua can show that he's the guy, um that some people aren't ready to put Miami there but we'll see um as far as the Jets go I listen I thought the Jets had a great um draft I mean I think they they nailed it with both with both those first couple picks um and what so, are they saying you're based there and you're surrounded by Jets fans I'm sure 
what, were... What's the mood there, um, as cynical as they are? And may, have you that... spoken to Fireman Ed lately? No, no, I have not. Um, um, what a shame. I'm, I did go to the, I went to the, the game at the um, MetLife, uh, the Bills game this past season. I'll probably end up going again. Um, I think they're excited. I, I don't think the Jets are under any illusion that that they're a Super Bowl contender this year. Um, and I think it's the exact, it's the same thing for giants fans. Um, I would say the giants thing is more interesting because I, you know, it's interesting trying to get giants fans on the record about, you know, Daniel Jones. Right. Um, and that's, it's tough. And I, and I, obviously there's the bills connection there now because of, um, because of Dayball and Shane. Let me, let's continue there actually. Uh, I know that we only have Jeff for a few more minutes. I said we were going to go around the table with uh, with the AFC East, but let's focus on Jeff here while we got him for five minutes more or so. Um, Jeff, can you tell us more about what it's like with the Giants? Are, do you have a lot of Giants fans asking you about Dable, about Joe Shane? Uh, and, and, of course, there's an infusion of Bills uh, coming in there, a little below-the-radar type guys like Davis Webb, who's considered a coach on yeah. the field, and, and Shea Tierney, the quarterback's coach. But what, how has Dable landed in Manhattan, for lack of a better phrase? It seems like fine. I mean, I think people were excited. I think for whatever reason, justified or not, and, and I guess more, it should be more justified than anything if they do come from a successful organization. But if, if, if management or players come from success, fans – understandably believe that they can are going to be able to recreate that success in their new spots. I think it's, that's easier, um, easier done than said in this case, I think they're excited. I, I don't know that um, uh, they have anything to say beyond that. I, I, I do think they want the Daniel Jones, at least for the giants fans uh, sorted out that, you know, Saquon situation, you know, his future needs to get sorted out as well. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I will say that I would say I end up talking to more Giants fans here, I think, than Jets fans. I think there are probably more Giants fans overall. Um, and, you know, they're, they're, they're good fans. I like talking to them. I'm not cheering for them, but I was going to say, if you're listening on the podcast, I was going to have to color the smirk uh, as you said that uh, I was going to need to. But if you're watching on YouTube, you could see how Jeff uh, delivered that line uh, about how much he enjoys these uh, Jets and Giants fans. Uh, last question for you, Jeff, and I'll let you go. And if you guys want to stay on, we can talk after Jeff goes. We can uh, dismiss him from class. Um, the loyal F that he is. He's been a good soldier. Uh, if the bill, what are you most concerned about your Buffalo Bills? Because as favorites uh, in Las Vegas to win the Super Bowl, uh, I think if I had to pick, I, I'm going to pick the Bills to win the Super Bowl. I think they're the best team in the NFL. Um, but what does that mean? They have maybe a 20, 25 percent chance of winning it because yeah. you still need a lot of luck. Yeah. Um, what are you most concerned about your 2022 Buffalo Bills? A Josh Allen injury. Yeah, I guess that's a pretty simple answer. I mean, what is that? What is that? Uh, you know, an, an injury to him immediately. I mean, we'll see. You know, Case Keenum's a capable backup, right? But, but 
if you figure the bills, let's say the bills were going to go, what do you, most people would say they probably will be a 12 and five team, 13 and four team, something like that. Maybe better. Yeah, that's safe. Maybe worse. We'll see. They, you immediately, one would think, and then again, all due respect to, to Case Keenum and the coaching staff and the rest of the talent you drop, you're, you're talking about then what, uh, I don't know, nine and eight, 10 and seven. Is that right? Is there another player? Because I, I think with the quarterback, that's probably the same dynamic with almost every contending team. But a year ago, I would have said Tredavious White was an indispensable player on the Bills, and I'm not so sure now that he's out of the lineup that you still feel that way about him or any other player other than Josh Allen. Um, indispensable, I would say that it's um, – I don't know. I mean, I guess your Diggs would be the next best – guess but i wonder whether i would say one of the safeties or both of the safeties right with the backup situation i'll just add in here this isn't my main concern but it is a concern is that if there is not a seamlessness with ken dorsey and they do have some growing pains there as he learns how to be the play caller the bills do start off the season just to remind folks at the Los Angeles Rams, at home against the Titans, at Miami, at Baltimore, Pittsburgh. Now, that's not the same Pittsburgh, of course. Mitchell Trubisky, probably the quarterback. At Kansas City in week six, they have a bye in week seven. And then the Packers on Sunday night football before they get the Jets. And we were just talking, you know, the Jets are probably not pushovers uh, by that point. That's a pretty tough schedule to start with. I mean, we're not, uh, I think in other seasons, we might be taking maybe with a slightly different schedule. You would have seen the stories by now by the national media and even some local reporters, can the Bills go undefeated? But you take a look at that early schedule and it's, it's tough to not see some losses in there. So um, I think so. And I, there was a good, I, I'm, I'm glad you did the Dorsey article. It was good. Um, it wasn't as good as the Oposo article. Um, but thanks, uh, Jeff, which was fantastic. Um, but Dorsey was good though. I, I would give him, I mean, and I know there will be growing pains, but it, it does help that Allen's been in the system now for a couple of years, at least. Right. I mean, but Dorsey, all, it's Dorsey, all not on Ken Dorsey. Right. I mean, he still has to do his job, but. Yeah. Um, you but know, the play it, it, dynamic could change. It's the play calling, it's the rhythm of the, you know, people. getting it used to doing. Yes, he's heard it in the headset, you know, doing it for Dable for a few years. Um, and as a quarterback himself, he knows the rhythm of the headset and when the thing shuts off and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but when you're facing a third and three situation, you know, with 47 seconds left and one timeout, uh, you know, do you choke? Um, and I'm not, that's not to say that Ken Dorsey would, but there are a lot of really smart offensive coordinators. Like guys, like think of all the times Andy Reed has made gaffes where people say he sucks as a play caller. He's considered one of the greatest of all time. And yet yeah. he still gets his yeah. share of criticism. Um, so the, it's, I think it's, you're going to need to expect some, some growing pains, but the other thing too, just to, in, and I made mention of it in the Dorsey story, there are a lot of former offensive coordinators slash play callers on this offensive staff, Mike Shula, Joe Brady, Aaron Cromer, um, Rod Boris. So <clears throat> varying degrees of success, but there is at least a, a brain trust of, you know, a, a, a safety or a security blanket there. Uh, but um, I don't want to ramble here as you need to get to a meeting, Jeff. 
Thank you for this. Matthew Fairburn has fallen off the call. So uh, I guess we'll just wrap it up here, Jonah. No offense to you. No offense Um, taken. um, Jeff, thank you for this. Uh, Enjoy your vacation. And uh, it's uh, nice of you to carve out some time for, uh, for the podcast. Always good to chat with you guys. And thank you to everyone out there for listening to Tim Graham and Friends, brought to you by CTBK, CPAs, and business consultants. CTBK is more than just a full-service accounting firm. They are one team with an innovative approach to accounting and rise to each new challenge with collaborative problem-solving skills. CTBK goes above and beyond by lending helping hands in the Buffalo and Niagara community through volunteer work and donations and has partnered up with Victory Sports for 2020 and 2021 to keep kids in the community active. The professionals at CTBK are determined to help individuals and businesses succeed. Whether a large corporation, a small business, or somewhere in between, call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400 and see what CTBK's one-team approach can do for you.